You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Mostly dead authors, fresh takes. Ruining required reading, one book at a time. Welcome to Ono Lit Class, the podcast that has eaten the plums that were in the icebox and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Sorry, not sorry. Should have labeled them. That's on you. I need the calories to push the red wheelbarrow. That it that carries so much and yet so I don't I don't know. I'm Megan and I I'm RJ. I don't get thanks William. For, thanks for giving me space. <laughs> well, because I was gonna say I'm, I'm Megan. I don't get William Carlos Williams, and then I was gonna give you space to make some kind of joke there. You know, riffing, feeding off of each other. That thing that hosts do. I'm still RJ. <laughs> I get William Carlos Williams. Explain him to me one day, please. Sure. Okay, but not now, I guess. This episode is our not quite 50th Q&A spectacular. The last time we did a Q&A was actually at the very beginning of this year, um, and we did it because we were coming back from a trip, and I had been in a car accident, and RJ has his lung collapsed, and or he died, d- depending on the lore, the, the mythos. RJ3. <laughs> Hashtag pray for RJ. I think I think you're going to be all right. I think you're going to pull through. It's It's been almost a year now. No, no, there's a movement on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I tweeted today. That thi- oh, you, oh, no. <laughs> Hashtag pray for RJ. Oh, Jesus. In, in, within a minute of me posting, someone liked it. So, someone was waiting. Hashtag pray for RJ. And so that was just kind of like, okay, let's let's try to do this. And like five people sent questions. And while we, we love and cherish those five people, it was a very short episode. So I marked it as a 24.5. It wasn't kind of long enough to be its own thing. So... Because of that, even though this is going to be labeled episode 49, it's technically our 50th episode. And seeing as this is going to be our last one of the year before we take our little break as, as the year draws to a close, figured we'd give the Q&A thing another shot. And we, we got more than five this time. Actually, we got a whole bunch and they are all amazing. And only some of them are horny. Less horny questions than I would have expected, but a decent amount. So are you ready to get started? Hashtag slide into my DMs. Hashtag don't. Thirsty. What? Quench it. No, don't quench anything. You are un- hashtag unquenchable. I am unquenchable. <laughs> That's why it doesn't matter how many people slide into my DMs. I got more for them. No one slide into his DMs. I'm not responsible for what he says to people. The thirst is real. Uh. All right. We're going to open things up with questions from Curtis T. Walrus from Vermont. That's how he signed it. Uh, I don't know if these first things are questions or things you wanted us to say, because it just says, RJ, do you believe in miracles? Where are you from, you sexy thing? Megan, I believe in miracles since you came along, you sexy thing. So I don't know if he wants us to, like, sing it or if he's just declaring that we're both sexy, which is very flattering. Thank you, Curtis, especially since you have very little to go on in making this assumption. Do you want to sing? No. You don't want to go, do you believe in miracles? Where are you from? You sexy, sexy thing. thing. You sexy thing. Okay, I did it. <laughs> and then Curtis asks, also, what's the deal with Shakespeare's good quarto? I don't think y'all covered it in any Shakespeare episode. 
I know in our Hamlet episode, we discussed the bad quarto, which is like bootleg Cliff's Notes Hamlet. Um, do you have any idea what the hell a good quarto is in reference to? Well, the same thing. It's the opposite. So it's the one that we know. Yes. Okay. There's nothing special about it. It's not like the extra good version of any place. Correct. It's the one that people go, yeah, this is the good version versus like the bad quarto or other quartos. There's a bunch of quartos. How do you differentiate between? I mean, are, are they all, do you, do you remember if all of them are as obvious as Hamlet between like the good quarto and oh no, what's this? Yeah, because like the soliloquies will be two sentences in the bad quarto and then in the good ones, you got actual soliloquy. I know that there's a bad quarto or folio or whatever the fuck of uh, King Lear where someone changed the ending because it made them very sad and they made it a happy ending. And that one was performed for a long time before people were like, wait, wait a minute. But yes, the good quartos are just more informed, perhaps more like the originals. But I don't have a time machine, so fuck if I know. All right. Thank you, Curtis. Next is uh, Will McGee, who has just like a whole bunch of rapid fire kind of stuff here. So what's a book or author everyone likes that you hate? Wow, we don't have enough time. Well, pick one. I've got one. Hate is kind of a strong word, but I got to say the Lord of the Rings. I mean, I know it's not like everyone loves it, but it's pretty universally like, you know, it's it's a big deal. And the people who do like it feel very strongly about it. I made it through a book and a half. And that was, that was it. And I never even made it all the way through The Hobbit. Like, I went back, like, oh, The Hobbit's supposed to be shorter and easier. It's just, I just can't. It's just so dense. And there are long descriptions about chairs. And so that's, yeah, that's mine. How about you? Well, having ever got it into Lord of the Rings, I'll just go with the other one. Harry Potter. No books, no movies. Just bad. Hashtag pray for RJ. <laughs> Hashtag don't slide in my DMs. <laughs> But again, that's not even so much that you hate them. You just have never bothered to read them or see a movie. You're more just sort of a... I'm against the idea. So viscerally <laughs> against the idea. You're, you're a miracle of modern society. I'm against it. Wizardry? <laughs> yeah. Get that out of here. You mean like, the, like the devil practices? Yeah, Hufflepuff? No way. No thanks. Slytherin? Nope. Uh, Ravenclaw? Uh-uh. All right, what's the last one? It's the, most, it's the most popular one. You named all the other ones first, actually. Slytherin? Ravenclaw? Hufflepuff? Is... Gryffindor. Yeah, look at that. You did it. Yeah, don't like them either. On the other hand, what's a book or author you feel gets unfairly criticized? So who, who gets a bunch of hate who doesn't deserve it, you think? I, I don't keep up on the politics of authors. Well, not even politics. You could pick like a an old fucking book or anything that you've read that you feel like, yes, this was good, that you don't feel like is appreciated enough. Huck Finn isn't racist enough. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't know about book, but I think like why YA young adult genre fiction just as a whole kind of gets a, a bad rap. That Just that those kinds of books are lesser which is unfair because I almost exclusively read YA genre fiction when I'm not doing this show. That and comics. Comics absolutely get unfairly criticized. Well, except the shitty comics. This is bad. I don't know what I'm... It's not a bad question, Will. We're just bad at answering things. The, uh, I gotta change the question a bit. I don't know a particular book that gets criticized wrongly. But people who complain about Ernest Hemingway and how he writes, they're wrong. He writes very well. Okay. He did say author, so that's There you that's go. Acceptable. That's my take. That's how I would write. That's how I write. Megan's wrong on Hemingway. I'm wrong that I don't like him? Yep. Get okay, well, as, as we're going to get into, not liking something and saying something's bad are two different things. No, it's come not. Up late. Yes, it is? Okay. What's your favorite adaptation of a book? 
That's easy one for me. Princess Bride. I, I think a lot of times movie adaptations of books suck almost always. The Princess Bride is one of the few ones where I think the movie, I like the movie better than the book. I think it's a great adaptation. Fucking love that movie. Friday Night Lights. Ooh, yeah, that's actually, that's a good choice. That is a good choice. That's a really good movie. Yeah, it is. Very good. How'd you two meet and decide you were going to do this podcast? <laughs> well, we lived in the same apartment. That made it pretty easy. Megan recorded the first episode on her own. I listened to it. Can you guys imagine Ono oh Class without RJ? Because it happened. After that, <laughs> RJ's been on every episode since. <laughs> you do the math. Hashtag pray for RJ. <laughs> Yeah, no, it wasn't great. But yeah, we, we, we didn't meet for the, the podcast. We've been together for no, we haven't. a disgustingly long time. That's not true. Yes, RJ Single. We No, what? RJ Single ready to mingle. We have literally Boys, said on the show that that girls. is not true. That's canon. <laughs> that is not canon. The bigger the cock, the more interested RJ is. We've known each other for like 10 years. And boobs. RJ's on to ass. Uh, uh, you know what? Yeah, fine. RJ Single. It's all you. You want him? Go get him. All of this can be yours. Mmm. Check it out. <laughs> Hot. Kurt, Curtis, Curtis they thinks, call me you're, thinks you're sexy. Because uh, I'm sizzling. Do you have degrees in English? If no, then in what? Yes. <laughs> BA in English literature and a master's degree in creative writing because those are my life choices. RJ? I have English degrees and law degrees and degrees in lane pipe. Beautiful. Have you taught English class or what? Yes. Some of us still do. Some of us still do, including me. Yes. Not me, though. But both of us have. No school would hire Megan. That's not She's crazy. true. <laughs> you should have seen what she did the last time she was in the classroom. Taught children about English? She ate a baby. Yep. Right in front of everybody. I was like, learn this, fuckers. And then I ate the shit out of that baby. Double, double, boil and trouble. <laughs> Trees and terror and plot. Those are two different things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing that, yeah, you're currently a teacher. <laughs> Finally, have you been published? Have you written stories, essays, etc.? Uh, well, you help make a textbook. Does that count? Yeah, I got credits. Okay. <laughs> and I've, I've had things read by people with my name on it. I've had some short stories, literary essays and stuff published in like some literary journals, a couple online. Maybe if I'm if I'm feeling egotistical enough, I can put links in the show notes. Maybe we'll see. You can search for my stuff. RJ, that sexy thing. First and last name. That's my byline. All right. Thank you, Will. Next from Chris Lane. Do you guys have any stories of professors throwing shade at deserving students or students turning the tables on a professor? Please tell us if you do. Let's see if we could think of anything either from when that when you were a student that a professor did or that you did as a professor. Mm. I want to try to do like one of each. So when I was working on my master's degree, we did a, a colloquium for thesis writing. And so we would all bring in different chapters that we have so far. Do uh, you want to explain the word colloquium? Because that's not really, uh, I don't think that's like a common. It was a colloquial. A, clo a colloquial? We would have a quorum. <laughs> It was basically a class for master's students writing their master's theses that you would bring in different parts and we would all kind of workshop it. So it's a workshop for non-creative writers. The professor I had for it, he was really into drawing stuff to show what he was thinking. And there was one student in particular who tended to use a lot of words and would feel around but never come out and say something. So what the teacher drew on his 
submission was a race card with its tires spinning and just kind of burning out. And then he said, you're just spinning your tires. Harsh. Yeah. Right, get to the point. It was pretty good. Yeah. The penmanship was also very good. That good artism. Pretty, that is pretty good. I, when I would get to a certain point of the semester, I would start drawing shit on my students' papers just out of sheer frustration and just tedium because grading papers is the worst. Actually, wait. I do have a good one. <laughs> is this one when you were a professor? So Stanley Fish. It's, no one's going to know who Stanley Fish is. I thought you would tell the obvious story. <laughs> yeah tell that one that's a great one <laughs> so when i taught well i'm still teaching i guess in the course of my teaching we taught a particular author who had some really hot takes on things and so i made a facebook and a twitter <laughs> all using the author's name and we told students you need to friend a guy on facebook for extra credit <laughs> And then he would post on their wall really nonsensical things, and it really confused the poor students. I think it's important to say that you were a grad, you were a grad student at the time. This was grad student teaching, and it, this was you and another grad student because it was a textbook. Everyone, I, I was in the same grad program, so there's a textbook that that everybody has to use for the English comp class that we all teach. So everybody has to teach this author like a billion times. Eventually, administration caught wind of it and told us. This needed to go away. <laughs> and so it went away, but there were many laughs to be had. Didn't someone show up to your class, either Aaron or Adam, pretending to be him? Oh, yeah, you know what? <laughs> we also went even deeper because then we started posing as the author, even though none of us really looked like the guy, like at all. He was 30 years older than us. Yeah, he was like a middle-aged, what, like Indian man? Yes. <laughs> none of us were. No. <laughs> And so clearly the students never read the man's biography because we would post this in class and students just went with it. He was just visiting the class, you know, like you do. Yeah. <laughs> that shit is wild. We, we got this guy. What a big gift for us. You've read his work. Now talk to him. <laughs> his picture's literally in your textbook. It could have been good. I mean, we could have started having visits from Shakespeare or Dickinson. <laughs> Who knows? I could have been Emily Dickinson. The sky's the limit. Emily's here. It's me. Jeez. Okay. So the best thing that I kind of have from when I was teaching was I look a lot younger than I am. And I was kind of young when I started. I was like 22 when I started teaching in uh, grad school. And yeah, I looked significantly younger than that anyway. So my favorite thing to do at the beginning of every semester was to sit in class. I can't remember if I've talked about this on the show before or not. Like I'd get there first to make sure that I was just sitting there and then uh, everybody would kind of file in and they'd be sitting and they'd be waiting and they'd be watching the clock and they'd be like, where's the professor? Where's the professor? And at right about class time, I would like stand up and be like, I don't think they're coming, guys. You know what? You know what? I'm going to teach this bitch. Let's do it. And that was how I introduced myself as their teacher for the semester. Keeps them on their toes, you know. I had weird fucking professors. I can't remember any, like, really good exquisite shade throwing, but I had a professor sing the theme to the Transformers movie, and I had a different professor who was a crazy person who would scream at us and was a leathery, tanned individual who worked out a whole bunch and married one of his former students who was 40 years younger than him. Ha-cha-cha. Um, <laughs> anyway... Moving on, thank you, Chris. Moving on to Melina's, who says, this, this one's this is a little more serious. Should I become an English major? I specifically want to become a librarian. Maybe. But I also don't want to be broke, unemployed, unhappy, unfulfilled with my life choices 20 years down the road. 
That's part one of her question. It's a very good question. You are asking the wrong people. <laughs> Why? Because we both became English majors and I'm sort of uh Yeah, well, you're un unemployable. Well, I was gonna say, yeah, I'm I'm unhappy and unfulfilled. Um and you're weird. <laughs> I mean I think okay, if you want to become a librarian, study, do the thing, become a librarian. Yeah, but there's a degree, like in library science. Getting yeah. an English degree I think is the wrong approach. Well I don't think you can get an undergrad degree in library science. I think that's a after. I don't think you can get bachelors in that. Okay. I, think... well, I don't think you necessarily need to get an English degree. That's true. Maybe you get like education or something. Whatever track you you need to do to be a librarian. See, we don't we don't know these things. I don't think you have to be locked into English. You can be locked into a different humanities. It is a good skill set that you learn. And even then, if you decide not to be a librarian, a lot of companies nowadays want people with humanity degrees because everyone has STEM degrees and people who have STEM degrees don't think the same as people with humanity degrees. Also, a lot of times they don't know how to write. Which is a problem. And I'll tell you, as someone who entered college as a STEM major and was a STEM major for more than half of college, STEM people were weird. <laughs> I jumped ship on them. They're also not fun. They don't have good parties. All you STEM people out there, you got to get with it. T attack on STEM people everywhere. Yeah, English, English people, also weird, much more fun. Throw very good parties. Get a degree in psychology. <laughs> I mean, okay, if you're going to get a degree in English, yes, there, there are absolutely transferable skills to other fields that aren't teaching or librarianism. I've had a lot of different jobs that are related to writing in, in different ways, done a lot of marketing and copy work. But, you know, whatever you pick, go into it with accurate expectations of things. You're only going to be uh, unhappy and unfulfilled if you're picking something, you know, for the wrong reasons, basically. Because, you know, at the other end of it, if you're like, you know, oh, I don't want to not have money so I'm gonna get a business degree even though you don't care about business or something you're still gonna be unhappy because you're like I don't give a shit about business and now this is the only thing I could get a job with because this is my degree you take a business class and then you might be like oh I like this but don't you know don't commit yourself to shit that you don't like just because money then I don't want to do that like fucking eat pray love just do what you want do what you love because that's unrealistic and dumb speak for yourself yeah some people get published Wow, fuck you. Uh, part two of her question, says, she says, specifically for RJ2, in parentheses, is it two or were there more? Um, I'm RJ3. RJ3. Who can keep track? You Hashtag don't, you pray don't, for RJ. You don't commit to the bit. Well, RJ3, she says, of financing with RJ fame, how do I avoid large sums of student debt? Uh... Don't. Why <laughs> avoid it? See, here's the thing. Depending on when you took your loans out, if you haven't taken loans out, oh wait, this is the yeah, same this person. is someone yeah, this is someone asking if they should become an English major. They they have not taken any loans out yet. So look, here's the thing. This is a this is a child looking for advice, but not child, a young adult. There's this that's a train. <laughs> yeah, you know, coming back on my last question, look into what degree you need to become a train conductor because from what I can tell, train business huge. <laughs> If our apartment is anything to go by, the train business is booming. So if you're first going to school now, from my understanding of how student loans work currently, if you're going to be a new borrower, once you get into repayment, you pay 10% of your discretionary income. And really, if you're going to be a librarian, unless you're going to be at a research one institution, that's not going to be a lot of money. I wouldn't worry too much about it. Take the loans that you need. Don't spend it on stupid stuff like drugs. Or Xboxes, as one of my roommates did. Get the education, and then you'll pay back 10% of your paycheck at a time. Until you're dead. No, no more than I believe it's 15 years if you take out loans now. And, oh. if, and if, then if you want to actually become a librarian and you're working for the public sector, which 
I can't really think of many libraries that are in the private sector. After 10 years of working in the public sector, as long as they still have public service loan forgiveness, after 10 years, your loans are forgiven. So there you go. I'm going to be paying my loans till I'm dead. You also took private loans. Don't take private loans. Don't no take, well, what no. I, these are, well, these are the public loans that I took off to pay, that I took to pay off the private loans, which I didn't take. My family took out because, yeah, don't do private loans. Private loans are bad. I bet that just blew everybody's fucking minds. Yet you know a whole lot of shit about stuff. I'm financed with RJ. I know uh, yeah. all things about money. It's true. Well, I know all things about politics, maybe, but Megan doesn't talk about that either. Well, no, because this is a book podcast. Yeah, you somehow managed to work all this in there. Somehow books just are completely apolitical. Uh, totally. Okay, so in, in that same vein, uh, thank you, Melina, we have from Samus K. I think it's pronounced Samus. They spell it like like Samus, the video game character. Uh, if not, I'm sorry. But they ask, as a literature student finishing college, so they already committed, a lot of people are talking to me about grad school. In perfect honesty, I don't know much about grad school. And the idea of more school debt is very intimidating. Would you recommend grad school? What sort of advice or knowledge would you share in that regard? For English? Presumably. Oh, good thing about grad school, most of them you could work as some sort of TA or that you could get a stipend and get at least part of your education paid for as you're doing it. So that's a pretty good deal. The one thing I'll say about grad school is make sure that's actually a field you want to get into because it's a professional degree. And if you're kind of just doing it, it's not going to add to a profession if you're going to jump ship onto something else. It's true. I got I went to grad school for something functionally useless. A fine arts degree I got in fiction writing, but I knew... That was something that I wanted to do going in. That I finished undergrad and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck to do next. But, you know, I've always wanted to write. That's, you know, that's my dream. That's what I want to do. May as well do this. But I definitely went in with the expectation of, like, I'm not going to walk out of here with anything like a job. Actually, that's not true. I did walk out with a job. Because uh, one of the guys who was there getting his degree worked at a marketing agency and helped me get a job there. So I backtrack on that one. But basically... If you're going to choose grad school, don't go in with any illusions, especially if you're going to do an English thing, because as, as RJ just kind of said with that. But yeah, I, I went in with the intention of becoming a better writer, and I did, and it was great, and I met a lot of amazing people who are still in my life. So I consider it a success, and yeah, paid for most of it by teaching, so that was cool. To give it as a long networking event. Yes, a, a multi-year networking event in which you just drink way too much and occasionally have a nervous breakdown. Well, um, that was you. Everyone else realized no matter what you do, you pass. You're going to get the degree. <laughs> the nervous breakdowns were mostly unrelated. The drinking was not. Everybody does the drinking. All right. Thank you, Thomas. We move on to Jenna Can, who asks... Have you ever considered reviewing a memoir or biography on the podcast? Sure. Megan keeps shooting me down on Mean. doing Art of the Deal. <laughs> hashtag. Hashtag pray for RJ. I think it'd be great, Meg. Well, okay. We could really take that one apart. For the most part with biographies, I guess because we sort of do a biography anyway, it might feel a bit uh, superfluous. Uh, yeah, no, I can't really think of any off the top of my head, but there's no reason why we wouldn't necessarily. And then, this is very good. If you could add and remove a book of your choice from your state's required high school reading curriculum, which book would you take out? And which book would you choose to take its place? Uh, I would take out Heart of Darkness, cause fuck that. <laughs> fuck that book right in the ass. What would I replace it with? Karl Marx, add him. Kids need to know. Yeah. You gotta... Kids gotta know about communism. I'm just looking at biographies now. Things we can do. I got it down to three. Andrew Jackson. Oh, man. <laughs> That'd be fun. Lincoln. 
Or, um... Wait, are they just all politicians? No, no. Or, uh, Zelda. Oh, Zelda Fitzgerald? Yeah. Shit, that would be really good. Okay, those are actually really good. Write those down somewhere so we don't forget them. Um, I can't think of a good replacement. I could just think of things that I would want to take out. Maybe replace it with something fun that a high schooler would actually read. Well, remember, I was in, like, a weird high school. Like, the shit we read wasn't State of Florida. It was the International Baccalaureate Program. So it was all Spanish and European. Like, like sent to the Spider-Woman or some weird crap like that. What? <laughs> this is why you've never read any of the stuff that we talk about. <laughs> is it called Sent to the Spider-Woman? I don't know what you're talking about. I literally have no clue what you're talking about. I gotta hook this up. It has Spider-Woman in it. Yeah. Now, is it sent to the Spider-Woman? I don't know. I guess we're going to find oh, out. Oh, Kiss of the Spider-Woman. Maybe Kiss of the Spider-Woman. I think that's a movie. Is that a movie? Um, you know, I would say maybe more graphic novels. Show that this potential seriousness of the medium, like uh, Mouse or... Yeah, it was a book that was made into a movie starring William Hurt and Raul Julia. Kiss of the Spider-Woman? Kiss of the Spider-Woman. It is an Argentinian book. Every Floridian reads this. Okay. They're not Spanish. <laughs> Excuse me. Different country. South American. But yeah, uh, Mouse or Persepolis. I support you on those. Okay. And then the one by Gene Yang that I can't think of the name of. Persepolis is a good movie. That's also a good adaptation. Yeah, actually, that's true. Persepolis is a really good adaptation. Uh, American Born Chinese. That's a pretty good graphic novel, too. Just to show the intellectual and artistic potential of a medium that I feel like everybody kind of shits on a lot. Thank you, Jetta. We move on to... Uh, their... Oh, no, wait. What? Uh, one other one that I liked that I read in college i did not read in high school i think it would do well in high school because i think it would did well kind of explaining immigration in the early 1900s america is in the heart i've never haven't even heard of that that's good it's about people immigrating in the early 1900s to california wow cool all right it's from an asian point of view which we don't get a lot of in really much literature true there's not a lot in the the literary canon in that vein which ain't great (laughs) I'll give the name. Hold on. Carlos Bulasan. There you go. Okay. So thank you, Jenna. And we move on to uh, their email. It was a gray weirdo. <laughs> Isn't their email address? I think it's Brett from the Facebook group. And he says, what criteria do you use for deciding which books to pick? Megan decides. Um, Whatever I say gets shot down. Every time I ask you what you want to do, you go, eh. Or you say the art of the deal. Those are the only two things. I get, I get a groan or I get in the art of the deal. So, yeah, the criteria is basically just things that are either well-established in the literary canon as, like, great novels of classic literature or poetry or stories or whatever, authors who have been deemed important so that we could decide whether or not, you know, they actually are. Uh, And then just stuff that has kind of just been passed down as required reading for decades upon decades and such. See, that's the boring answer. Now, the fun answer, maybe the real answer, is we have a big board of books and authors on it. And what we do is we put a little dab of cat food on each of the squares, and we put the cat down in the middle of the big old board, and whatever food the cat eats, that's the book we do next. People also vote on Patreon. (laughs) People or cats. Cats. It's Uh, called Catreon. He also says, would you consider doing uh, comic books? Or graphic novels, Watchmen or V for Vendetta. Well, wait, we're waiting for Alan Moore to die. Yep. Coming soon. <laughs> I'm scared of Alan Moore. But I yeah, wrote a whole thesis about it. So did I. We both wrote theses on Watchmen, actually. Uh, so yeah, no. we're uh, If you haven't figured it out by now, we're very pro-comic book. So We, we started eventually. a revolution. Really, I started a revolution at that whole grad program because... 
probably in what a five-year span <laughs> there were like 10 theses about watchmen that was my undergraduate oh, thesis uh, ours we did that completely unrelated of each other because yeah. mine mine was about because i i did like a lot yeah, of classic, i don't care about william blake i care about william blake they might care about william blake yeah, you've, you've been alan doing this, moore click you've been knowing the show william for like two years I can remember how many William Blake episodes we have. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. You love them. Uh, and he says, or pulp books like The Maltese Falcon. No idea what that is. That's a, That's a movie. Well, yeah, but it's also... I guess a good adaptation because a lot of people like that movie. <laughs> Probably not pulp books. I don't know. Maybe maybe at some point we'll, we'll start widening the scope to uh, like more... Just make like Maybe like the main kind of identifiers of like genre fiction. Like what you think of when you think of this genre. Who knows? And finally, what's your recording setup? What kind of microphones? Who edits? How scripted is the show? <laughs> I show up unscripted. I give my goodness. And then Megan cuts a lot of it out, leaves it on the cutting room floor. <laughs> One day she'll stitch it all together and you're going to get just nothing but RJ hits. We both have notes that we come with. Yeah, and, I uh, Yes, always. To, to the point where it's a little bit upsetting. Possibly even unprofessional. So we, we have notes that we can refer to and read off of. And sometimes, you know, if we're working and we think of something funny, we'll write it down. So it'll be a joke ahead of time. But everything else is just us. Just us being like that. Who edits? Me. Who does every part of the show aside from what you hear RJ say? Me. Now, we write our scripts independent of each other. We don't know who or what the other person's going to say. Definitely don't know who or what they're going to say. <laughs> who are they going to say? I don't who, know. Who are they going to say? <laughs> so, thank you. And moving on to Chris Osborne. Chris asks, how long does it take to put an episode together? A while. Because we got to... Yeah, about 30 minutes for me. Yeah, great. That's great. Well, we got to research. We got to write our notes. And then we record, which usually takes like almost two hours. Because we are not efficient, and then editing takes me a few days, and... Megan says a lot more than you guys here, and she has to cut a lot of it out. What has been the most surprisingly hard thing about doing the show, and the most surprisingly... (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's not surprising at all. We we expect that. And the most surprisingly easy thing. My dick. (laughs) Surprisingly hard. Social media. I don't know if that's surprising. It's just hard, and it sucks, and I hate it. What about you? What was the hardest thing? Showing up every two weeks in front of the microphone. <laughs> Great. Although, to be fair, it took you a good little bit to become comfortable in front of the mic. If you go back and listen to the first couple episodes and compare, there's a huge difference. No. I know, you don't listen to any of the old episodes. <laughs> I've been gold since day one. The easiest thing for me, social media. You don't, Yeah, because you don't do it. <laughs> Hashtag pray for RJ. Hashtag pray for RJ. Now, here's the thing, guys. Remember, when you put a tweet out into the world, you put it out there. You need to love it. And you need to retweet it. Yep, you're so good at social media, you, you like and retweet your own tweets. You fucking weird. A plus. Uh, the most surprisingly easy thing? Getting used to my own terrible voice and having to hear it over and over and over again while I edit. That was horrific at first, but then like it passed really quickly. I thought it would be a problem a lot longer. Who has your favorite show about both comics and video games? I, th- I think it might be Chris Osborne of Play Comics. <laughs> Doofus. And finally, what is your drink of choice while recording slash editing? Well, normally we only drink water while recording, except for that one time. <laughs> because I get vetoed. Because we were... I get 
Vito. Because you are hard enough to corral sober, let alone me trying to do it while I'm drunk, as we learned in, in our Ernest Hemingway episode, which you can go listen to and hear what we sound like when we're intoxicated. I sounded even better. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart, and the very next day, you th Oh, hey. <laughs> I didn't see you there. It's me, Megan. If I sound more like trash than usual, it's because the temperature has dipped below 70 degrees here in South Florida, and to my allergies, that means it's time to go into hell mode. So I apologize if this is an unpleasant listening experience, but oh well. <laughs> Not really much I can do about it except continue to Benadryl myself into a state of delicious oblivion. Before I do that, I just want to say thank you, as always, to our wonderful patrons and just continuing to support the show and just be really goddamn awesome. The current count here uh, midway through December is 47. That's right, just three away from 50. And you guys not having to put up with this anymore. But until then, I'm going to tell you all about my favorite Patreon peeps, which is all of them. They're all my favorite. I love all of my children equally. And I'm going to do it alphabetically again. Uh, because A, there's just, just still like so many of them. And B, our newest patron actually comes last alphabetically. And you'll, you'll see. For just supporting the show and everything they do and being great, I want to say thank you to Aaron, Alexander, Amy B, Amy W, Anne, Aries, Ariel at Ariel Teague, Barry, Ben at KNSJM, Brandon, Brett, Caitlin at Rose of Phantom. I did, I did it that time. Like Rose of Phantom. The, said the whole thing right. Certainly Cheryl. Chris Osborne at Play Comics, Dirk Dammit at Killing You Guy, ES, and Pravi at My House, always slamming at the door. Florian, Harriet, Janet, Jared, Jen, Jenna, Camilla, Karen, Kate, Caitlin, Katie, Kendall, Kiki, Lanikins40, Lonnie at Lanyon, Lucas, Mads R. Mads, wait, M? Mads Matema? Mad, uh, the other Mads. The Mad, the, the two, the, the Mads. Those Madses. Matthew, your boy, Chips Ahoy. Morgan, Natalie, Not Alone Podcast at Not Alone Pod. Pseudobred. Sam. Sam Ariel. Sarah R. Sarah C. And Sarah H. Who will join forces with Kate, Caitlin, and Katie and bring about our doom. Uh, Tanner, Wendy, <laughs> and White Chocolate Temptation. Thank you for your patronage and support. <laughs> I don't know who you are. You strange, sick, beautiful monster, you. Uh, this week's pod pals are the guys behind the podcast Hop Nation, a show that's dedicated to providing both entertainment and and knowledge of very good craft beers, which, as a self-professed beer snob, I, I say, yes, good, this is a valuable service. But I'll let them tell you about it. Do you like craft beer? Uh-huh. Do you like an unending wealth of puns? Uh-huh. 
What about four-hour lectures on the ethics of cryptocurrency usage in third world nations? No! Oh, right. But do you still want craft beer reviews and comedy, right? Uh-huh. Then listen to Hot Nation USA, a craft beer podcast. Available on iTunes, Podbean, Google Music Play, and Stitcher. Are you shitting me? No, I'm not. Just listen to the podcast. Top Nation USA. Where all fine podcasts are sold. Alright, thank you, Chris. We move on to my son Freckle, who asks, Do you ever have to edit stuff out for time coherency that you wish you didn't have to, or does that always end up in the after credits bit? Well, that depends on who you ask. <laughs> Everything I say is gold. Some of my best bits have been cut. That's not true because you don't even know what goes into the final product because you don't listen to the episodes after they're done. Uh, you he... have no idea what goes in and what doesn't. He's making this face now like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, Megan says, I'm cutting that. So that's what I'm going on. <laughs> no, if I laugh at it, but it's it either stops the flow of the show too much or is just too weird or whatever, it usually goes in the end as, as the outtake. Rarely has there been an instance where... There was like multiple funny things that I had to kind of make like a Sophie's choice for. And I've done it a couple times where I've put multiple outtakes if I think they're both really good. But yeah, most of the stuff that's edited out deserves to be edited out because it's bad. Or a train. <laughs> All right. Thank Next you. Next question. Yeah, thank you, my son Freckle. Um, Who's your favorite train? Th- Thomas? Wow. My favorite train is the one that's going by our fucking house right now. Bratline. <laughs> Get it on the train. train. You ride a choo-choo. How's that song? I don't know. That's my favorite train. Our next question is from Morgan, who says, Fuck, Mary kill, with the asterisk, all suspicions of syphilis aside, Harper Lee, John Dunn, or Oscar Wilde. Which, wow, that's an interesting trio to do an FMK for. I am not sure. Well, given that he was probably the richest out of the bunch, had the most power at least, I would marry John Dunn. I'd get down with the church. <laughs> He couldn't. What do you mean he couldn't? Well, wasn't he persecuted by the church? He was like the fucking... Until he finally... Yeah, he was like the fucking like leader of the church. All right. That's how he had to hide his dirty writings. In fact, last week they found like a whole other book of his writings. Oh, no shit. It was very naughty, very tawdry. Hot. I guess I would F uh, Harper Lee, because I know at least maybe I could meet uh, Truman. <laughs> Mythicopody. <laughs> So I guess I would have to kill Oscar, which is all well and good. What a miserable man. We went and saw The Happy Prince the other day, which is a recent adaptation of the last sort of years of uh, Oscar Wilde that came out recently. It stars uh, Rupert Everett. It's a good movie, but gosh, yeah. Dude was in a, a hell of partially his own making. Partially society's fucking awful and terrible, but he just kept running back to that little fucking shithead, Lord whatever the fuck his name is. Queensbury. Little bastard boy. I, I was gonna fuck John Dunn because I gotta believe he'd be good at it. And I'm really torn between Harper Lee or Oscar Wilde because I feel like if I married Harper Lee, it would be very chill. Like we would hang out on a front porch in like rocking chairs and have dogs together. But I feel bad about it. But I feel like if I married Oscar Wilde, it'd be really fun before it got really bad. And then he got tired of me and wouldn't want me anymore. So, yeah, I think I'd uh, marry Harper Lee, fuck John Dunn, and kill Oscar Wilde. I feel really bad that we both killed Oscar Wilde. Uh, she also asks, if you could fix the end of one book, what would it be and how? Like, I feel like if I don't like a book, I usually don't like the whole book. I don't know that I've ever read a book and been like, oh, this was so good. If only the ending wasn't like this stupid thing, and then, then I would like it. So... 
I don't really have an answer for that one, do you? Atonement. Fuck Briny. <laughs> there you go. And finally, what piece of capital L literature should get the Muppet treatment? A la Christmas Carol and Treasure Island in the next obvious question. What role would Gonzo play? This is the best question ever. It's a very important question. Watchmen, Manhattan, his <laughs> penis. Great. Uh, just the penis. Just just the tip. Um, it, no, his face would just be the penis. If he would talk. Of course he would. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a really good because Muppet Treasure Island is legitimately and sincerely one of my favorite movies. Robocop. That's not no. What? Stop. <laughs> Dante's Inferno, or this is the Divine Comedy, and I guess Kermit would have to be Dante because Beatrice would be Miss Piggy. Gonzo could be Virgil. Uh, he could be Kermit's guide through hell. And uh, Waldorf first story could be the harpies. Be like, oh, 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 you're in hell. <laughs> this would be amazing. This would be so good just for me and literally no one else. I'm the only one who would enjoy this. Or <laughs> also, the Divine Comedy is something we're going to have to do. All right. Thank you, Morgan. Um, oh, yeah, I got to pick my book. You got to have an actual answer? Art of the deal. No. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Morgan. And we move on to Ben. Ben says, who is the sexiest author in the realm of classic literature? Use whatever criteria feels right to you. Uh, I read these questions ahead of time because I had to organize them and all that stuff. So I cheated and I did some looking. And uh, most classic authors, not lookers. Not great looking folks. Across, on on both sides of the gender spectrum, largely. I know people say young Ernest Hemingway could get it. I did. I You're know. wrong. You're wrong. Bad take. Bad take. Really? Yeah. You think he's handsome? Yeah. Um, I'm putting mine in for young William Faulkner. Look at that. Look at that face. Now, young young William Faulkner is is honestly pretty cute. But yeah, no, right? Writers, I guess, were writers because they nobody wanted to to fuck, fuck him. I don't know. <laughs> uh, who else was sexy? Zora Neale Hurston nah. was kind of sexy, depending on the pictures. Because this one, this one's great. This picture of her? Look at that. This is an audio medium. <laughs> it is an audio medium. There's a, I'm looking at a very cute picture of Zora Neale Hurston where, like, she's got, like, a really nice hat on and she just seems like someone who you want to take on a date. You know who was conventionally attractive? Really not my style, but I didn't know was conventionally attractive. Sylvia Plath. Yes! Shit, that was it. That was the one that I fucking forgot that I looked up and I was so hyped to uh, talk about. Because I saw that, too. When I was looking, and I forgot, Sylvia Plath was hot. I want to go that far. Well, she's a traditionally attractive blonde. Yeah, I was gonna say you don't like blonde. White yeah, female. You don't like blondes. Um, she was she was beautiful. I think legitimately beautiful. And I, I guess you know when you think of Sylvia Plath, I, I don't really have an image of a person in my head. But yeah, no, like there are pictures of her, and you're just like, oh fuck, Sylvia Plath was on top of you know being a very good writer and a, a very depressed person, just really really pretty. Anton Chekhov. No, I think. Oh, oh, you had it. All right, you know what? Anton Chekhov could get it. That's not bad. All right, here's the one you were waiting for. What do you think of Derrida and all his deconstruction stuff? I realize that this could be a whole series of episodes in and of itself, but just general thoughts. People with English literature degrees either seem to think he's a genius or an insufferable ass. Or maybe both? So this, this is great. Because here's the thing, when you're in grad school for English, you're going to do a lot of literary theory. And that's when uh, professors teach you a bunch of philosophers and philosophy, 
and it's really hard and if you're me you don't get it because you're kind of dumb and then you have to apply it to literature so you could say smart shit about it. One of those people is French philosopher and theorist Jacques Derrida and we, we both have very differing opinions on him. Would you like to go first? No, yeah, you could go and be wrong. It's not really and wrong. I'll come in and uh, clean up. Fine, because you you're actually probably have more intelligent things to say than me, because I don't like literary theory. I'm not very good at it. I have never liked philosophy. I'm really dumb, you guys. Derrida is very circular to me, that he just kind of goes back and forth on himself, and I guess most philosophers kind of do that. And the one thing that I have managed to take away and remember about all the Derrida stuff that I've had to read in school is in a piece called uh, The Animal... Is it the animal that I am? The animal that therefore I am? Some shit like that. He goes off on, on this whole journey about his cat looking at him while he's naked and, and what it means and if his cat understands that he's naked and maybe both of them are a little turned on. Who knows? I don't do theory. RJ? Well, I do theory. That's, it's why, that's why you're a lawyer. <laughs> it's why I decided to get an English degree. It's really for the theory, not so much the literature. Literature comes and goes. Theory, that's the good stuff. Now, Derrida, I'm with him most of the way. He, like Megan says, he does get a bit circular. I think he contradicts himself, and that could be a whole episode by itself. I've written papers about such things for Stanley Fish. Bad teacher. Um, <laughs> bad teacher, bad man. Rude neighbor. <laughs> rude neighbor. What a rude dude. I don't know who listening to this knows who Stanley Fish is, but I guess they can Google I don't know. So people who know theory probably know Stanley Fish. He True. was uh, pretty big here in the uh, 20th century. Um, anyway, I'm more of a Adorno and Horkheimer kind of guy. I don't know Those who that is. a couple is. of ones. Um, and what's the one that you like also? Uh, like, Benjamin. Yeah, Walter Benjamin. Well, there's a train now again. It's the Walter train. Yeah. Choo-choo. Well, I like Benjamin because he could be applied to film theory, and I feel like I understand theory with films more with books for whatever reason. No, see, the thing with Derrida that I enjoy and. I'm going to pull back the curtain here a little bit. I don't like Trump. What? But the thing is, when he was elected, and it really has played out over the last two years, one thing that I thought that was important that he will serve as is pointing out to people there really is no truth. There's shades of whatever you want to put out there. And I think people were struggling with that before his election. And now that's all the narrative is. There is no truth. He has his own. Other people have their own. And so Derrida's right on that point, and it's something we've just kind of been kicking around and never having to deal with in the flesh until now. Would Derrida feel validated or horrified, do you think? Probably both. <laughs> As most philosophers often do. But yeah, that was the other reason I didn't like Derrida, because he was a, what's the word, deconstructionist? Yes. Yeah. It just feels so lazy. Nothing really means anything. Okay, well, what do we do about it? Shrug. No, he does talk about that. <laughs> well, you like it because you get to say nothing means anything, and then you feel like you don't have to argue further. That's not a hundred percent true. It's close. So we we hope that elucidated things a bit, Ben. Probably didn't. Jock's the man. <laughs> Go read his stuff. Don't do that to yourself. Do that. I, I guess if you do it and you like it, you are destined to be either an English or philosophy major. <laughs> That's... Your reading assignment: Adorno and Horkheimer. Derrida. Those aren't words. Yeah. And you would like them because they talk about film theory also. And then uh, Roland Barthes, Mythologies. Oh, also very shit. Good All right. Read. I do like Roland. But again, Roland Barthes talks about entertainment and film and wrestling and stuff. So he's actually really interesting. Wrestling. He also wants to know when we're finally going to do crime and punishment, which he's been pushing for. We'll get there, Ben. Another good <laughs> adaptation. Eh? Crime and punishment. I've never seen the movie. You've never seen Capote? 
What? Oh, I'm thinking the wrong thing. Yeah, no, you're thinking. Cold porn. You're thinking of in cold blood. Yeah. How the fuck you're did you confuse? This is Tolstoy. Yeah. Yeah. How the fuck did you confuse in cold blood with crime and punishment? It's pretty similar, but yeah, Tolstoy. Jeez. Leo, my boy. Your boy. My boy. You've no, never, Anna Karenina. You've never read Crime and Punishment. War and Peace also, yeah. Are we confusing things? Are we not? I don't know. Because they all, all the fucking depressed Russians blend together. Oh, yeah. Head. Crime yeah. and Punishment stuff, stuff, yeah. I knew it was either going to be fucking, so you say Tolstoy like <laughs> five times. Yeah, Dostoevsky. Tolstoy would be War and Peace then, I guess. Okay. And probably Anna Karenina. Jesus. This is why we haven't done crime and punishment. And uh, finally, he presents us with this hypothetical in a sort of Anchorman situation. The the famous fight in the film Anchorman that uh, in a dimly lit back alley on one side are Mary and Percy Shelley with Lord Byron. On another side are William Shakespeare, Mark Twain, and Emily Dickinson, which is a much more confusing trio of people. And on yet another side are Ernest Hemingway, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and H.P. Lovecraft. To get no back Zelda? home. No. I, this, these are his choices. To get back home, they must fight in a no-holds-barred back-alley literary brawl. Who wins? Hemingway by himself. Yeah, but but see, he's... He'll pick up H.P. Lovecraft and use him as a bat. I was going to say, because he's handicapped Hemingway by, by giving him F. Scott and H.P. Lovecraft. He'll <laughs> use them as weapons. <laughs> yeah, William, William Shakespeare, don't think he'd be a... Him and Emily Dickinson, I don't know if they're really fighters. Mark Twain was more of a fighter with words than fists. So that team seems very disadvantaged. Lord Byron was a fucker, not a fighter. He, he would probably just try to get out of the situation with his dick. I would honestly be scared of fighting Mary and Red Percy Shelley. They have no muscle mass. <laughs> There's only one person here who has muscles, and it's Ernest. <laughs> so Ernest Hemingway just beats up everyone, I guess. I don't. Mary Shelley scares me. I'm, I'm more interested in picking apart the, the strategies here with these different teams. Emily would just go on the ground and slither like the snake. Yeah, she'd slither away. Mark Twain would fucking say something piffy. Well, and... I say, I do declare. <laughs> and Percy would probably punch him in the face, but then cry. Do we know that <laughs> old Samuel Clemens talked like Foghorn Leghorn? No, but I'm just going to assume he did. Yeah, doesn't he on the Disney ride? Yes. Yes, he does. And that is how we base our historical assumptions on Disney's America ride. In yeah, Epcot. he time travels with Ben Franklin, <laughs> his does. contemporary. Um, <laughs> they were friends, you know. Disney told me so. America. America. <laughs> America. America. Look at that. We went to space. We want some gold medals. <laughs> what else did they show me? Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was there. He was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we move on to John, who asks, which book or book series would you most like to see turned into a tabletop role-playing game? Uh, and then in parentheses, Bronte vs. the RPG, which, yes. The thing is, like, the stuff that I would want to do, I think, already exists, which is, uh, like, a Jane Austen one where you have to roleplay Austen characters instead of, like, dealing with, like, the battles would be engaging in fucking high society manner shit and your terrifying aunts who want to, like, marry you off to gross old men. I feel like that would be really fun, and I, I think it's a thing that already exists. Uh, what about you? Yeah, doing a Hamlet RPG would be interesting, I suppose. You can make different choices. Maybe everyone doesn't die. You get a good end. All right. Thank you, John. Move on to Phalanx. Or maybe a Frankenstein. Oh. Frankenstein. Okay, what would a Frankenstein RPG look like? You create your own monster. And then you, you see you who make makes them... the most hideous one. Like, who gets the most hideous parts? <laughs> and then you make them fight. Yes. <laughs> That's horrible. Um... That's good. Quote everyone's Frankenstein. There you go. And everyone creates their own little monster. 
I would love my monster. <laughs> It'd be like Pokemon, but just sort of more terrible. Uh, yeah, then you get beat up and die. Great. Yeah, pocket monster. Thank you, John. We move on to Feyland, who asks, if you could take one classic lit character and drop them in 2018, who would it be? And also, you're their guide, so what do you show them? So a character, not like a real person. You go first. I take Ahab, and I send him to the fucking Seaquarium. <laughs> yeah. Just be like, here you go, dude, we did it. We conquered the shit out of the ocean. You suck. Look at this fucking whale. You can't touch it, though. I don't know. Maybe we'd free the whales. Maybe you'd have a change of heart. Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Where Actually, you know, you know what? Eeyore. Eeyore? No, I take it back. Tigger. Oh, my God. You're just going through I'm it. thinking okay. about which one's the best out of that group there. Okay. So you would take Tigger. Tigger. Where would you take Tigger? <laughs> Forever. That guy, him and I are going to be pals. We're on the same wavelength. Yeah, I can't argue with that. And we got Calvin and Hobbes for adults. <laughs> oh, no. RJ and Tigger. <laughs> oh, the gritty reboot that no one wants. Thank you, Phelan. And we move on to Angela Roberts, who says, As an educator, I am always looking for ways to motivate struggling readers. What advice or book recommendations or reading strategies would you give to a young person who just does not like to read? Start small. Yeah. Short stories. Yep. They could be exciting, easy to read, put down, and I don't think you could force feed people to read. You got to get them into it. And so I would start like with poems and short stories, things that are maybe interesting to them. Kids don't like poems. I don't well, know. Well, that, that, <laughs> look, you ain't breaking out like Shakespeare's sonnets. Well, no. I'm just saying in general... Kids tend to get frustrated with poems, in my experience. You could start with uh, song lyrics. Yeah, that was actually, that was kind of the way. Like folk songs. With it. Most Kanye songs and Emily Dickinson poems have the same rhyme scheme. It's just a fun thing. But yeah, um, no, I agree with you. Start small. Keep it interesting. Let them get into it. I think our Murder on the Orient Express episode was a great example where um, our friend Jess talked about how she taught her kids that book because it was a murder mystery and it would be fun and they had a really good time. They got into it and they were reading on their own. So stuff like that. Uh, she also asked, if you had to do a podcast on a topic other than literature, what would be the topic of that podcast? Politics. Uh, obviously. Uh, movies. Political movies. Maybe. Sports? Yeah, there's a lot of those. There's a lot of movie podcasts and political podcasts. Politics and sports and movies. Be very specific. Megan, can you believe the Redskins, after losing their starting quarterback, hired Mark Sanchez. They didn't even give Colin Kaepernick a call. Your thoughts? Hot take. Uh, I like Gritty, the NHL mascot for the Flyers. His face is scary. Thank you, Angela. Harriet says... Um, and I like this. I've got two questions. One I would describe as a Megan question, and one as an RJ-level question. <laughs> First one is, what makes a good book? Can it be inherently good, and does enjoyment equal good? Which I think is a pretty solid question. So, I know at the end of every episode, we rank books as bad or good, and, you know, we're mostly doing that by... Our personal tastes are just sort of a very, very general sense. That's not to be taken super seriously. I think for the most part, enjoyment can equal good, at least on a personal case-by-case -case basis, because I feel like Twilight, for example, is an objectively bad book. I think the writing isn't very good. I think it promotes unhealthy relationships. But if someone enjoys it, then it's good to them. 
similarly. People would say like To Kill a Mockingbird is, is sort of an unchallengeable book. Like if you say that's a bad book, then you are just incorrect, even if you don't enjoy it. So, you know, it's a, it's a weird kind of muddy uh, line there of what makes what makes a, a, a book good. Although like I fucking hate Moby Dick and apparently that's a good book. But then there are also people that love Moby Dick and I call them crazy people. So that was my wishy-washy answer to that question. Uh, number two. This this one's for you. If books were food, what sort of food would the books in the Ono Liklas repertoire be? For example, Frankenstein as a turducken, because of all of the inter-stuffed narrative uh, framing devices, and Moby Dick as sashimi. Why is it sashimi? I don't know. It's because it takes place in the sea and has fish, I guess. Well, Do I need to, like, read you and remind you books that we've done? Macbeth would be blood pudding. <laughs> Not Titus Andronicus, which was literally pies made of people. That would be blood sausage. Ah. Actually, I take it back. Macbeth would be haggis. Titus Andronicus would still be blood sausage. So the blood pudding will then go to Hamlet. Not poisoned wine? <laughs> Not delicious poisoned wine? If you're planning an Ono class themed dinner party... <laughs> Any Edgar Allan Poe work is... A raven that's been run over by a car. <laughs> it's just a straight up roadkill. Yeah, it's little legs just sticking up. Oh no. Yeah, what other things have we read? Old Man in the Sea? No, we didn't do that. Yeah, we did. No, we did do Old Man. Oh in the my sea. god. Yeah, you were drunk. Yeah, you decided that the Copacabana was inside of a dolphin. The Copa. <laughs> Copacabana. Oh, that would just be some uh, old Marlin. Mahi Mahi. Okay, what about Dracula? Pussy. <laughs> Why? On its period. Ew, ew, that's not a food. Oh, 1984, just like a stale piece of bread. <laughs> or an MRE. Um, yeah, there you go. Uh, Scarlet Letter. Corn. <laughs> Why? Something pilgrims ate. <laughs> they called it maize. No, they didn't. Yeah, they did. Um, thank you, Harriet. And we move on to Matthew, your boy, Sir Knight, Chips Ahoy, Esquire, a.k.a. the resident pun goblin of our Facebook group. And he asks, do you think that God stays in heaven because he too fears what he has created? So, first of all, whoa, God is a she. Okay, <laughs> okay first of all, it's a quote. Do you know what it's a quote from? No. The quote is spoken by by Steve Buscemi, actually, who is a scientist in the film Spy Kids 2. <laughs> That's the Antonio Banderas song? Yes. Yeah, I like him. He's the Wolfman. No, he's not. That's Benicio Del Toro, you fucking racist. Uh, but then he thought better of, of wasting his question on a joke and sent another email later that says, Are there any books that you are 100% opposed to doing? Apparently, the art of the deal in the Bible. Well, art, you know I'm opposed to doing art of the deal. It doesn't fit with any of our fucking parameters. It's it, fiction, and it's by it's someone just, uh, well known. It's not fucking taught in school, that's for sure. And well, it's the, time out. No, don't say it's taught in the fucking Donald Trump school. Oh, it's taught at Trump University. There you go. And I bet you at a bunch of business schools, they actually probably actually do teach it. Okay, but that's not really on theme. 
Diary Van Frank well, off the list. I was going to say, actually, yeah. If there's one that it's not that I'm opposed to doing it, but that... Megan doesn't want to talk I about female masturbation. Of, please stop. I'm trying to give it like an actual answer. <laughs> I'm giving it an answer. I know the truth. <laughs> we talk about masturbating so much. Female um, masturbation? Sure. Uh, well, look, here's the thing. I don't know how we could approach the diary of Anne Frank or Anne Frank or however you're meant to be pronouncing it the way we do our show because it's a real thing and it's oh man I mean there's only kind of so much you can do joke wise and we're we're not great once we get out of jokes that's that's the same thing like like uh, a night by Ellie Wiesel which was a very good book that I read in high school that really fucked me up but again I don't know how we would go about doing it on our show because you know it's fucking horrible it's a kid in a concentration camp there's not much beyond that we would could do joke wise apart from sitting here going up oh, that's fucking horrible so it's not even that I'm ab- opposed to it I can't think of a way in which we could tackle it that would be it either wouldn't be funny and if it was funny, it would be horrific. A lot of funny stories in the Bible. The Bible I'm opposed to doing because I'm scared of backlash. Don't at me. <laughs> Hashtag pray for RJ. <laughs> I know that there are plenty of... Like, the Bible as literature is a class that exists in like colleges and stuff like that. Too scared. What a weenie. I am. Thank you, Mr. Chips Ahoy. Next is Ariel Teague. So she has a couple rapid fire questions. Uh, what made you decide to start Ono Lit Class? Too many podcasts about other things. Not that many podcasts about people talking about classic literature, but also making dick jokes about classic literature. And neither of us are pretty enough for YouTube. And you know, we got these English degrees. Gotta fucking do something with them. You got anything you want to add to that? I didn't make the show. You're on the show. Megan made an episode. It was bad. She's hiding it from you, our adoring public. I'm not hiding it. It's bad. They don't need to see a bad thing. No, they don't see it. They would listen to it. So there you go. They don't need to listen to a bad thing. At me. Send in your request. You want the episode with just Megan. No, you don't. It's just our Macbeth episode, but it's just me and it's bad because there's no one else for me to play off of. Sounds pretty good, right, guys? (laughs) Uh, what's the biggest thing that surprised you about starting a podcast? That people actually listen to it and enjoy it. And we don't know them. And they're they're all over the fucking place. Oh, that reminds me. Shout out to our Reykjavik listener. We got one We in our, our cool little analytic thing. I Every time there's a new release day, there's always one download in Reykjavik, Iceland. So we see you. This goes out to my homie back in Reykjavik. We love all of our listeners, but we really love you, Reykjavik listener. If you could have everyone read one book, what would it be? If you say The Art of the Deal, I'm going to fucking no. stab you. <laughs> I haven't read it. No shit. I've, I've read it with my heart. Okay. That's that's the important thing. That's what you read with. Some say you read with your eyes, but nah. You read with your heart. That's a lot of fucking pressure. It's a lot to put on one book. Watchmen. <laughs> yeah, Watchmen. Yeah. Covers a lot of ground. Co- covers everything. Covers different kinds of characters. Politics. Philosophy. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Why? Because it's fucking funny. And everyone should have it in their lives. Uh, if you had to fist fight a Bronte sister, which one do you pick? Parentheses, no brass knuckles, no sharp pens. And Why? Well, because she's the least scary. Emily was completely fucking unhinged. She's the one who wrote Wuthering Heights. So I would be very scared to fight her. And Charlotte lived the longest out of the Bronte sisters. So she's she's got she's going to have more more grit. Um she's a survivor, she's a fighter. And Anne was just kind of the sensible one and I feel like I could probably take her in a fight. 
What about you? I could take all three of them. Well, you're supposed to pick one. I'm going to take all of them. You're gonna I'm be, big you're, and muscular. You're going to beat up all the Brontes? Yeah. Six feet, <laughs> 220 pounds of muscle. Come for me, bro. American have, prime they, beef right here. Oh, God. They have no way Corn-fed of... boy. <laughs> they have no way of checking that. <laughs> it's the truth. I'll kick their ass. Okay. I'll pick I'll pick one up and hit them with the other two. <laughs> that seems to be the running theme here. Favorite historical author anecdote or scandal? I mean... Mine will always be F. Scott Fitzgerald taking Ernest Hemingway aside and being like, dude, does my dick look weird? Zelda said my dick look weird. It looks normal, right? There you go. <laughs> Although the one, the one that Reed told me the other day was also very good about Gertrude Stein not wanting Ezra Pound to come to her parties because he was just a gross asshole on top of also being a fascist. And so she purposefully like messed up one of her chairs to the point where it was almost broken, but not quite. And then during one of their little author parties that everybody was always at, this was the same people, you know, with, with uh, Hemingway and Fitzgerald and other folks. And she was like, hey, go sit in that, sh- go sit right here, Ezra, just pop a squat. And, and he sat and the chair broke and she's like, what the fuck, Ezra Pound, you broke my favorite chair. Get out of here. You are not allowed to ever come back. And if that's not a fucking power move, I don't know what is. I'm going to go with, this one's playing out in recent times, the whole thing behind uh, to go set a watchman. You know what? That is a hell of a, a fucking scandal slash event. <laughs> um, in the time Helen Keller got caught plagiarizing. How the f- Wait, how? She wrote a story and it was a copy of a different story. And then one like this got thrown in front of her. She said, well, I guess as a child, I must have heard that other story and it stuck in my brain. And then I rewrote it as my own. It's a good memory, because otherwise I'm like, how the fuck would she plagiarize unless she made someone else do it for her? That Helen Keller. I've never heard of that. Apparently Helen Keller wasn't a great person. I've been learning that she was kind of terrible. She was a Nazi. That I didn't know. I know she was racist and um, just not fucking cool. Because, you know, they teach you, like, this wondrous story of she was blind and she was, what, deaf? But she was apparently also kind of a asshole maybe she wasn't a nazi okay let's scale back who we refer to as nazis but apparently she was she was kind of a fucker oh she was a racist yeah i knew she was yes she was a racist what's your favorite color blue uh purple and teal the two colors that i made our podcast colors so you know and 2019 plans for ono lit class question mark exclamation point multiple times reykjavik (laughs) we're going to reykjavik i guess more trains. We 2019, have on a train. year of the trains. Spoilers. But actually, we do have some some cool plans, some some new content that we're gonna have for you know both the Patreon and the regular this other potential shows. Maybe we'll see. Trying. I'm gonna be at fucking PodCon in January in Seattle. You're not gonna be at PodCon. Why are you rubbing it in the listener's face? No, they, they're not going to be a PodCon. They might. Well, You're they, not going to be a PodCon. I want them to be come to PodCon. Yeah, you, RJ, are not going to be a PodCon. No. We, we should send some sort of representation of you along with me. No. Wow, okay. RJ could give a shit about meeting any potential fans and listeners at PodCon. At me. Find <laughs> me on Twitter. Slide in my DMs. That's the way to meet me. See me in your dreams. And uh, any other things we'll, we'll get to. We'll announce. We'll see. Just just hang in there. So thank you, Ariel. And now we get to Elf Grunge, who says, What do you think separates a lit class-worthy book from a run-of-the-mill? Oldness, weird tragicness, innuendo agency of an author's backstory, 500 layers of unnecessary symbolism? 
Yes, all of those things. Um, <laughs> Timelessness. Yeah, if people still respond to something powerfully, emotionally, over time, then, you know, that kind of means it's a classic. Part of the reason we're still reading Shakespeare is hundreds of years later, his stories still have resonance. Even, you know, the, the fact that they are so adaptable that people have been able to tell the story in so many different fun, wacky, removed ways just kind of shows how sort of relatable they are, even if the language at times is not relatable. I'm thinking of uh, different endings to books. That was so many questions back. So The Great Gatsby. You need to add one sentence or two. Yeah. yeah you got the rowboats hitting each other, whatever. Like a final line. And then Jay's hand came up out of the ground. <laughs> out of the pool? Oh, wait, no, they did bury him. They didn't just leave him in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> he, came. he rose out of the pool. And then it just ends. Dot, dot, dot. So you mean like the end of, God, the, the eighth fucking time I mentioned this. So you mean like the end of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. He's back. He's G- back. Gatsby's revenge. Gatsby's back and he's pissed. Um, it would have worked well in the movie also. I think also, yeah, like 500 layers of unnecessary symbolism. I think a lot of books do, that we consider classics, employ, you know, sim- symbolicness. But I think that's also, the the older a book is, the, the more removed we are from it and from the author's possible intentions, and the more that scholarly types can just conjecture whatever the fuck they want about it. And so you got a teacher struggling to be like, well, this could mean four different things. We don't know. This guy's been dead for like 80 years and people just say stuff Maybe it's all of these things. And also, if it serves as an exemplar of its type and or genre. So if it's, uh, you know, the first book to write something in a certain way, or to do like a coming-of-age story, or it did the, the great American novel. That was the thing. All these books are doing the great American novel. I still don't know what the fuck that means. Thank you, Elfgrunge. I know that that was in no way helpful. <laughs> And so lastly, that kind of leads us into some questions that were asked by multiple people that we had a few people asking these questions. So I lumped them all together. Yes, I would sit on Edgar Allan Poe's face. Wouldn't we all? People wanted to know about our opinions on classic literature versus genre literature. Do these classifications matter? Is it just like something that people use to make something seem superior? Well, I think classic literature, if we're talking about classic literature then at that point it's just time that gets that's what gets separated from you know whatever was genre fiction at the time when i was in grad school there was definitely a whole thing about you know what was literature and what was genre we were there to write literature and not genre which was tough sometimes because i love genre Genre's great. That's what I like to fucking read to enjoy myself. I read crazy young adult fantasy sci-fi shit and it makes me happy I think any categorization is stupid. Oh, that's because you like Daredoff. There you go. go. Classifications are meaningless. Categories are meaningless. Read shit you enjoy. I mean, the one thing, though, is while there was sometimes some gatekeeping in grad school about if what we were writing was literary enough, you would occasionally have dudes who showed up to workshop who had written stories where thinly veiled versions of themselves fought against barbarian hordes and hung out with sexy cat girls so you know little of column a little of column b uh who are some of our dream guests including like authors living or dead or just someone now that we would want to have on the show so you want to pick like a dead person and a living person 
Ernest Hemingway. Barack Obama. All right. Orson Welles. Stephen King. What advice would you give to someone starting out as a podcaster who wants to make, you know, someone who wants to make their own podcast? Find someone who will do the editing and social media for you. (laughs) We'll just do everything. Uh, Just do it. Don't be intimidated about things. Don't be afraid to learn as you go. Pretty much everything that I've done, I've been fumbling in the fucking dark with. And like, yeah, sometimes there's like, wow, maybe I should have researched this one thing a little more. But also, who gives a fuck? Like, just have fun. Just go for it. Just do it. Make sure that the thing you've picked to talk about you really like and want to talk about for fucking ever. Otherwise, it's going to be a very short podcast. But yeah, like, just do it. Uh, You know, people get intimidated about, like, technology. I got to get the right microphone. I have to get the right software and the right this. And it's just fucking do it. Just talk about something you care about, either by yourself or with a friend or with whatever the hell you are. (laughs) Just fucking go for it, man. Live your dreams. Don't let your dreams be memes. Don't let your memes be dreams. What's a fact that hasn't been shared on the podcast about yourself? Uh, we don't really talk about ourselves that much. Uh, RJ's a photographer, and he's really good at it. I'm a photographer. <laughs> no, like, he, he takes, like, really amazing pictures. Megan's a fan of the Florida Panthers. Yeah, I guess that doesn't come up in the podcast. You're Megan- a fan. You're a fan, too. We're both fans of a very mediocre NHL team. Megan's non-binary. That's true, I guess. Yeah, I haven't said that on here. I am non-binary. Because gender is weird and dumb, and I don't much care for it. Lastly, what are your favorite books, or authors, or genres? We did this. I know, we kind of mentioned it. I don't know I'm done. Do. Okay, fine. Well, you like Neuromancer, I guess. I do. You don't really have genres that you like, though. Like, all the things that you like are wildly different genres. I like it literature. Those genres, it's just categories don't matter. I like a lot of sci-fi, fantasy, light sci-fi. I don't do that hard sci-fi shit. Good Omens, probably one of my favorite books. That's gay, man. <laughs> and the reason that RJ mentions Watchmen all the time is it's one of like the three books he's ever read in his life. <laughs> and I think that's that's it. Thank you so much for sending us so many very good questions. We hope we gave semi-intelligible answers. We did our best. And so that will about do it for... This, this episode and this year of Oh No Lit Class. Holy shit. Thank you guys for listening and participating and being awesome. At some point after this, um, we're going to release a couple minisodes that were previously Patreon only. Uh, it'll be great. We will be returning sometime in early January that I'll probably splice in later because I don't know yet. Um, but until then, you can... Uh, like us on Facebook, join our Facebook group, check us out on Twitter at Pod, or you can bother RJ, who apparently is tweeting again, at, what is it? RJ underscore Onolitclass. I see you, life, death, and taxonomy. <laughs> I see you, the great Desdemona. That's, that's, that's Joey and Carlos. I see you, Natalie. He's... I see you, Rob. Because they see my tweet, I see them. There you go. He sees all of you. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. You probably should get a restraining order. I see you, Reykjavik. <laughs> he sees you, Reykjavik. You can pledge to our Patreon, patreon.com slash class, or if that's just, like, too much of a commitment and you like to keep things a little more loose, a little more casual, you could, you know, throw, throw a dollar in, in the proverbial tip jar by going to onolitclass.com and uh, smashing that motherfucking donate button. Thank you, as always, to uh, Best Day for the use of our theme song, uh, and you can listen to more of his stuff at soundcloud.com slash best-day. And um, until until the beautiful 
hopefully better, sexy year of 2019. I'm Megan. I'm RJ. We love you. Bye. And just scratch your beard right into the mic. Just do it. It's real good. Okay. Jeez, you tell me you're ready, but no, you got all this bodily itching to do. I have a secret agent out there. Yeah. That's the signal. Take the shot.